Hello and welcome to Stump Death in Taxes. This is Mary Pat Campbell, also known as Meep. And today I'm talking about the Museum of Failure. Uh, This last weekend was my oldest child's 20th birthday. And we went to the Museum of Failure, as one does, (laughs) to celebrate. Hey, it was her idea. And uh, really wanted to go. It was in Brooklyn, an industry city. Uh, It's one of those pop-up museums moving around. And it reminded me of when I went with my kids when they were very small to the Museum of Math, which ultimately got a permanent space. I don't know that the Museum of Failure is something that deserves a permanent space. However, what the Museum of Failure really is a museum, what it's about really is innovation. So let me read from their uh, website. And they've been to multiple places. Uh, If you go to their site, you'll see they've been to Los Angeles, Shanghai, Paris, Minneapolis, Washington, D.C., Taipei, and Calgary. Um, They've been all over the place. Uh, So let me read this. Innovation Needs Failure. Museum of Failure is a collection of failed products and services from around the world. The majority of all innovation projects fail, and the museum showcases these failures to provide visitors a fascinating learning experience. Every item provides unique insight into the risky business of innovation. Innovation and progress require an acceptance of failure. The museum aims to stimulate productive discussion about failure and inspire us to take meaningful risks. The museum is curated by Dr. Samuel West, licensed psychologist, PhD in organizational psychology. So um, I will talk about a couple of the exhibits. They have a few of the exhibits on the website. <laughs> the one I want to talk about is called Rejuvenique. It looks like this horror mask. It's, you know, you know, f- this plastic mask you put on and it's only showing you the front. It really looks horrific when you go there and you look at the other side. There are all these electrodes because what it does is it gives you tiny electric shocks to your face and you're like, what? Um, The concept supposedly was, you know, it rejuvenates your face. I mean, someone had this idea and uh, let me read the description. The title is Touch of Beauty or is it Ouch of Beauty? This beauty mask tones facial muscles with electricity. According to the instructions, the mask should be strapped onto the face for 15 minutes, three to four times a week. Linda Evans, the woman on the package, is an American television star known from the Dynasty series. In Rejuvenique's instructional film, she congratulates the owner for their exciting purchase and ensures them that it is a good investment. However, according to one user review, the mask feels like a thousand ants are biting my face. The mask seems to be taken straight from a horror movie. Also, the device was never safety approved. It was only 12 months on the market. So when I was in the museum, I took several pictures of things that were there. And of course, I'm not going to give the whole game away. Some of the products that were in the museum actually had existed for decades. And what makes the product a failure per se? 
I mean, it can exist for a long time. Uh, you know, it can be even profitable. That's not what he means by that. And they, they kind of get into what makes a product a failure. Um, so for example, one of the things that was there at the Museum of Failure was the, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Facet or Facet calculator. It's spelled F-A-C-I-T. And it existed from 1922 to 1972. And it's from Sweden. So Swedish company Facet started making mechanical calculators in the early 1930s and by the early 1960s had 8,000 subsidiaries in more than 100 countries. But Facet didn't do the math when the popularity of electronic calculators started to soar in the mid 60s, stubbornly opting to not embrace the emerging technology. By 1971, cheaper electronic calculators from Japan started flooding the market, making the mechanical machines obsolete. Facet refused to change and they went out of business virtually overnight. So this was a failure due to lack of innovation. So for each of the products, and it's almost all consumer products that one saw in the museum, they have a score on three dimensions, innovation, design, and implementation. And then you get a fail-o-meter fail score uh, from a combination of these three items. Uh, so for the facet calculator, innovation was zero, design one, and implementation one. Well, what's interesting about this calculator, of course, when it started out in the 1930s, I'm sure it was very innovative um, and it was very successful initially. When you get into business school, and no, I've never been to business school, so you know, don't ask me about that. But um, you know, there's like an innovation curve where something, uh, definitely a product, but products and services can initially be innovative, but ultimately they're going to get replaced. I remember, uh, so my dad worked at IBM. And, uh, you know, going through the 1980s and, uh, you know, well, he died in 1990, but um, so just thinking about what happened to IBM throughout the 1980s and into the early 1990s and how they had to change what their business was. So they used to be in the business of building computers or business machines, international business machines. They made mechanical calculators. They made, um, uh, they made different kinds of business machines, not just calculators. Uh, you know, they made scales that were used in grocery stores, for instance, once upon a time. That was very, very long ago. Then they were making mainframes and you didn't buy those mainframe computers. You leased them from IBM. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather used to be, uh, you know, a sales manager with regards to these leases. And he had some stories with regards to that and dealing with 3M out in St. Paul, Minnesota. In any case, moving on from that, uh, obviously IBM got out of that hardware business as their core business and moved into IT services, you know, in general. Uh, and that's one of the things you have to do with regards to innovation. And I, I would say the mu Museum of Failure had a lot of examples. It, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of electronic 
uh, <laughs> uh, examples, but they also had stuff in there like a Trabant, uh, you know, the car uh, from East Germany. And that existed from 1957 to 1991. So let me read from the description of the Trabant. Made in former East Germany, the Trabant was such a manufacturing failure that it sullied communism's good name. <laughs> Sorry. Oddly enough, though, the Trabant was not a commercial failure. Quite the contrary. Without any market competition, the Trabi, as it was affectionately called, and I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing it, was a hot commodity. Interested buyers were placed on a waiting list of up to 13 years by the state monopoly manufacturer, with a used car going for twice as much. The original 1950s design remained largely unchanged for 30 years, becoming a symbol of the Eastern Bloc's lack of innovation and stagnant economy. Trabis gave you the barest of bare minimums, no basic amenities such as turn signals, seat belts, or a fuel gauge. With no fuel pump, its tank was placed above the motor so fuel could reach the carburetor by gravity. The two-stroke engine used an oil gas mix and smoked like it was actually on fire, which was known to happen. The body, the only durable part of the car, was made of duroplast, an innovative hard plastic made from recycled cotton waste of the Soviet Union. Other than that, the smoke-belching Trabant suffered from pretty much every possible ailment. It was frustratingly slow, unreliable, loud, and looked like a clown car. Despite being the worst car ever produced, nearly three million Trabis were sold. The Trabant will forever be remembered and loved for its defiance of failure. Take a look at the Trabant here on display. Would you have driven that, comrade? This 1987 Trabant 601S was generously donated by Country Classic Cars in Staunton, Illinois. And please visit countryclassiccars.com to see their spectacular inventory of cars for sale. And so I do want to note that a lot of the uh, items that are there on display were, of course, donated to this Museum of Failure. So yeah, Innovation 1, Design 1, Implementation 1. So on the fullometer, it gets a 7. I guess the fullometer goes from 0 or 1 to 10. Uh, so it was pretty big fail there. But uh, one of the items I noticed was something called New Spoon, which is N-U-S-P-O-O-N. And it was this kind of origami spoon that went with uh, a yogurt cup. And you're like, okay, what is this thing about? And it said, oh, yeah, donated. And you're like, oh, you know, so brave that the inventor of New Spoon donated his own creation to the Museum of Fail. And I'm like, uh-huh. And what made it a failure? So first off, I'll I'll just talk about what this new spoon is. It's basically um, one of those little small tasting spoons that's supposed to be disposable that comes with like a yogurt or, you know, something that's going to be eaten on the go, but it's supposed to be uh, environmentally friendly in that uh, you can compost it, you know, uh, or dispose of it, and it's made of recyclable materials, but also it comes flat and then you fold it up to make the spoon because one of the problems with a lot of those itty bitty spoons that you get with like, I like getting tuna pouches, for instance, those spoons take up space and they don't stack flat. Um, so you want a spoon that maybe is, starts out as a disc and then you, you know, 
take it out of the package and then you can, uh, you know, fold it up in some way. But supposedly the failure is it was poor design. It was too confusing for the consumer to use. So that's the failure, um, supposedly. But yeah, he donates it to the museum and you got this name and it's still being sold here on, I'm looking at its listing here on Amazon, um, that you can buy a box of 350 of these things for what? $23. So I'm thinking this is a way he's marketing his, his new spoon thing that you can buy these. And I'm going like, well, he's just gotten some free advertising out of this. You come to this and you say, oh, it's a failure of oh, new spoon. And then you Google it and you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe I want one of these little disposable, you know, ecologically friendly spoons. So yeah, what kind of failure is that? So um, now you'll notice these are all kind of consumer products. Some of these, and some of these are uh, services, a lot of the online services, they had stuff like uh, Google Wave and the Microsoft Tay, uh, which was an early AI failure. I remember that, Tay tweets. Um, but, and, you know, mainly sticking to concrete uh, consumer goods, uh, Crystal Pepsi, New Coke, uh, Google Glass. Uh, so a lot of things that people remember. They put IBM Watson in there, which I thought was strange. Um, but I think they meant it as a failure in that it did not fulfill the original goal. Because, for example, Segway was in there. Um, and the point of that, and they said, well, yeah, it's still being made and it's still being used, maybe mainly for like mall cops. But the concept with regards to the segue, so let me use what, I'll, I'll read this because they are pretty saucy in some of these descriptions. So segue from 2001, and it says, this is a first generation segue, and it was a marvel of technology. Since segues are still being sold, you may wonder what the segue is doing here at the Museum of Failure. A failure is defined as a deviation from expected and desired results. The segue was supposed to revolutionize how we mobilize. Quote, segue will be to the car what the car was to horse and cart. End quote. Or open quote, city infrastructures will be planned around the segue. End quote. It was predicted that the two-wheeled people transporter would be a game changer and the company would reach $1 billion in sales. The electric chariot scooter was pricey, impractical, and let's face it, uncool. It never came close to living up to the expectations. Today, the Segway is mostly used by security guards and shopping malls. Sadly, a later owner of the company died doing what he loved, plunging off a cliff while test driving a new off-road version of his beloved invention. The most important reason the Segway is in the exhibit is because it illustrates the definition of failure. Because the um, the scores they give, the innovation is eight. So it's actually pretty innovative. And there's actually a couple other things in the Museum of Failure that were very high on innovation. I'll uh, mention one in a moment. Design was seven, implementation six. So the philometer was five. So it's kind of in the middle. 
Uh, so it's not a complete failure, but it didn't hit the mark it intended. So one of the other failures was something that was very innovative, uh, well-designed. Um, I don't know how they said on implementation, and it was a really high-tech, I would say, you know, a wheelchair. And it could go up stairs. It could go over all sorts of terrain. So what was the issue with this wheelchair, this motorized wheelchair was that it was way too expensive and pretty much nobody could, you know, like $27,000, insurance wouldn't cover it. You had to be really rich to get this wheelchair or, you know, people would have to donate a lot of money so you could get this wheelchair. Uh, it operated just fine. It's not that it broke down a lot. It's just, you know, people didn't you know, couldn't afford it. And that's one of the issues. I'm like, well, does it really belong here? But if the goal was to have something that would be widely available for, uh, you know, people who needed this product, well, it was way too expensive. And so you think of someone who is innovative, like Steve Jobs, in terms of when he looked at consumer electronics, and he's like, hmm, you know, um, yeah, you could make electronics that were super duper expensive that did a lot of the stuff that he was aiming for. He was trying to make something that was beautiful, cool, and within a certain price range that it would be accessible to a large number of people. Um, what's interesting, as people were saying, is like, you know, they thought that say, and I thought an Apple Watch, what the heck? Um, why would people wear these damn things? Well, you know, it actually was pretty popular. I don't understand the allure of Siri and Alexa and all of that stuff. I mean, I still don't have a smartphone myself. I'm looking into one this year. I have a flip phone, you know, so that gives you an idea of where I stand on the innovation curve with regards to some technology. I mean, I do use technology, obviously, but, um... You know, some of some of this I'm going like, I don't know. I understand why people use this stuff, but um, some of it is like, uh, you know, it's the risk return for me. I don't get out of it what other people do. Um, they had some things, some famous failures. They did drop in a couple things that were a little different, like the Spruce Goose and the Vaso, which was this old uh, sailing ship that, basically sank and blocked a harbor on its initial launch. Um, I'll have to look up more about that. Uh, they, I mean, again, it's more products and it's more about business and the idea of how difficult it is to innovate, but that pretty much you're going to have to fail. And you're going to have make a lot of mistakes on the road to success. Um, yes, Trump shows up in the Museum of Failure, but it's for stuff like Trump steaks, Trump wine, the Trump board game, which was a dumber version of Monopoly, and it did not look like it was fun to play at all. Um, I think I remember seeing that. I don't know anyone who ever had it. Um, you know, while I was thinking through this, I have I have a bunch of little notebooks that I, you know, jot down notes in. One day I had given this to my son. Um, we were uh, somewhere in, and I gave him a pen. He likes to sketch. And I opened it up later uh, a couple days ago when I saw he wrote in the back of it. And 
I'll just read this and I'm going to have to look up to see if this is a real quote. A person who never made a mistake, never tried anything new, Albert Einstein. Now that, again, that just sounds like one of those just so things. It It is a quote from somebody. I don't know if it's from Einstein, but you know, on the way to trying to innovate, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, the issue is what kind of mistakes you make and whether you keep making the same damn mistakes over and over again, which of course is not productive. At the end of the museum, they have a big wall with sticky notes all over it <laughs> where people are supposed to write their failures. And I took several pictures of this wall. Um, yeah, I put the, the bit about killing a goose with my windshield. That's not really a failure, obviously. There were lots of things I could have put up as a failure, but uh, my kid reminded me of that particular thing, so I wrote it. Uh, she wrote at putting this on the wall and then stuck it on the floor. Um, you know, I'm a smart ass. All my kids are smart asses. So my kid had a really good eye and saw up on, high on the wall, someone had written, failed three separate actuarial exams a total of six times. I don't know if that person is listening to this, but hey, hang in there if you haven't gotten through the exams yet uh, and if you're still taking them. I know somebody who <laughs> failed exam the first exam like six times in a row before passing it and did ultimately get through to become a fellow i did fail an exam myself i did, i know some people who've made it through the process without failing any exams but that is very very unusual Some of the other stickies, um, yeah, someone mentioned the Tacoma Narrows Bridge and say, hey, you should look it up, look, find a video. And that is an amazing disaster. But uh, other than the uh, ship that collapsed, which I would call a design disaster, most of the examples in the Museum of Failure aren't things that didn't work. They were things that were failures as products because they didn't fulfill what consumers needed or they were too complicated for consumers to use or they were before their time or, you know, something like that. Most of them actually worked the way they were supposed to. Some of them did not, um, especially, uh, well, okay, I'm not gonna, the Olestra, if people remember that, uh, fat substitute. Um, but yeah, a lot of people had the the kinds of failures most people were putting up on the stickies, of course, were kind of personal life failures, doubting myself, not getting divorced sooner, um, my funeral home business, that's interesting, not being grateful every day, uh, waxing my own armpits, yeah, that's a, that's a mistake, um, <laughs> my dinner last night, okay, yeah, um, your mom... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, some some uh, tasteless jokes up there on uh, not a surprise in Brooklyn. Not leaving when I'm aware it's time to go. Living in the past. Being afraid of failure. Sold my GameStop. Yeah, so some of it is not being able to predict the future, which you cannot do, of course. 
Oh, uh, yeah. This, oh, I like this one. This museum's lack of respect for incremental progress. Well, you know, that's some of the stuff too. But there's different kinds of failures and different kinds of innovation and uh, progress. So, but that's a good point. A lot of the kinds of innovation and progress that people have in life is just a little step by step. And that's important too. Uh, you know, most of, most of the time, so think about Segway. Think about some of the other things that were in the museum actually lasted quite a long time and actually accomplished something. So they were not complete failures. Um, they were not necessarily incremental progress either. They just didn't hit the particular goal they originally set out for themselves. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, you can start out with a particular target and then have to change it. In any case, it was a good, I, I liked it. I think it would be a good basis for say, like a museum of innovation or a museum of business, as it were. Um, it's not enough for a full museum on its own, I think. But this is how like the Museum of Math started out. It started out as a pop-up going around and then ultimately found its own space in Manhattan and you know, it started kind of bare. I, I went to the Museum of Math when it first started out and it's grown over time. So, you know, things take time to build. Uh, talking about incremental progress. So maybe that's the path Museum of Failure will, will take. And maybe this is just something that will exist for, um, you know, a little space and time and then go away, which is also okay. So that's been Stump death and taxes and uh, that was my weekend bye bye